Good morning and happy Friday, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Code Concepts with myself, Rachel Patterson, and Pete Roquet. So as you know, Pete and I like to bring you guests who have something relevant to share in our industry, um, things that impact us in so many ways. Uh, today, I'm so excited about our guest, who I will let Pete introduce here in a moment. But you know, this guest, after really looking him up and, and kind of becoming a stalker on his awesomeness on LinkedIn and YouTube, um, I have to say, you know, our guest brings so much to our profession, but just brings so much to everything else as well with this vast amount of knowledge. So I'll give it over to Pete, but I'm super excited to hear all about our special guest that we have today. So we have Charles Solano here today. Um, Charles Solano was the former uh, police chief of the city of Tustin, California. For you guys that don't, don't know where Tustin is, it's close to Disneyland. It's in the Orange County. So for you guys that watch Orange County uh, Housewives, that's where it's at. So um, yeah, so I served uh, in a nearby city in Garden Grove. So I, I'm pretty aware with uh, Tustin. So um, he is the president of uh, Chief Leadership, which is uh, uh, you know a group, uh, consulting group that gives a lot of information and a lot of leadership uh, training to masses. So um, I was able to, uh, you know, on LinkedIn, I saw his profile, I looked him up and I was floored with the information that I saw. You know, one of the things that we'd like to bring on our show is people with a real real um story so in, in his story he he talked about uh you know being the chief of police and how he was a hot mess and i love it i'm gonna let him go on with it but uh with that i'm gonna bring you uh uh chief uh charles solano good morning so, mr solano good morning good morning thank you pete uh and rachel uh so much for having me this morning and you're building me up way way too much uh no. that, that's for sure um but uh just yeah to go back to what pete said about a hot mess i'll tell you about that in just a minute but it's really an honor to to be part of this uh, and what you guys do I, i've been a, i've had an opportunity to to listen to the podcast and to follow what you're doing and you're doing great work and and certainly for the code enforcement profession i have the privilege to work with code enforcement professionals um, throughout the state of California. And uh, it's amazing what you do. And it kind of unsung heroes in a lot of ways uh, in the different communities because you, what you do makes a difference in the community. So, so thank you so much for what you do and thanks for having me. So, yeah, I mean, I was a mess uh, in many ways, but uh, I had a lot of successes and a lot of failures uh, throughout my career. But just to give you a little bit of background, um, I did work for Tustin, as Pete said, for 27 years, had a wonderful, uh, blessed career, spent a lot of uh, time in the operation side of, of law enforcement, worked a lot of patrol. I was a narcotics officer. I was on a county task force. I, was, I worked with the gang unit for many years, had a lot of fun. And uh, then at a certain point, I decided, hey, I should try and promote up through the ranks and I was fortunate enough to ultimately, you know, promote up sergeant, lieutenant, captain, and then and then ultimately the chief of police. And I was a chief there for the last five years of my career. And that was a very rewarding experience, but also a challenging one in many ways. And ultimately, it was that position and the stress associated with that position that actually forced my hand to re-career sooner than I wanted to. I actually left two years prior to uh, being retirement eligible, which is kind of unheard of, as you know, in, in public government, in our world, people don't leave before they're retirement eligible. But what happened to me was in 2018, I had a heart scan 
And this was actually part of a wellness program that I, you know, kind of implemented or, or helped to implement at the department. And ironically, I became the poster child for this heart scan because the scan didn't come out very, very good. Um, and I was, I was actually shocked because, you know, I thought I was a pretty healthy guy. You know, I was exercising, was eating okay, you know, um, and, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, this is going to be a no brainer, right? I'm going to go in, get this heart scan. It's going to come up with a zero score because that's what you want when you get a heart scan. And lo and behold, that is not what happened with me. And the, the way the heart scan works is it measures the calcification in and around your coronary arteries. And based on that, you get a score. And if you have no calcification, which is probably the case for you guys, because for most people, they don't have that. If you have no calcification, you get a zero score. So people kept coming back to work like, I got a zero, I got a zero. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my scan. I'm going to get a zero, no problem. And as I mentioned, that's not what happened. When I sat down with the cardiologist, they said, oh, you know, Mr. Solano, we have good news and bad news. And I was like, okay, this is not good. A cardiologist telling me there's bad news. Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, the bad news is you have um, a moderate level of of calcification in your heart, which means you have coronary artery disease. And it like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I just couldn't believe it, you know, that that was happening to me. And I said, well, what's the good news? The good news is, well, it's not severe yet. You know, it's moderate. But for my age, I was in the 90th percentile, meaning that if you put me in a room with 100 men my age, 89 of them would have a healthier heart than me. So this really was a shock to me and to my system. And I went home and talked to my wife. I have five children, you know, and, and, you know, my wife was very supportive of it. And I'm like, you know, I don't know, should I go back to work? Should I, you know, what, what should we do? You know? And she's like, well, I support you, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to quit. I can't quit. I'm not a quitter. You know, I got to go back to work. And what I learned about heart disease is there's really three contributing factors, right? So one is genetics. So your DNA, it's, it's, you know, it's in you, it's hereditary. There's nothing you can do about that, right? It's in your genes. Two are your lifestyle choices. So how you choose to eat, you exercise, all those things that you know, you know, have to do with your health and wellness. And the third one, and the most important one for me was stress and chronic stress untreated or mismanaged can actually lead to chronic disease in particular heart disease and so i learned about this and again i said to my wife i go you know i don't want to just give up you know after 27 years i love this career and she said well i support you so i went back to work and a few months later i had what i call my crucible moment right so i came home from work one night and it was one of those rare times as a chief that you actually have a free evening. So I, I was able to come home and I was able to tuck my sons into bed. I love being able to do that. They were younger at the time. And I was tucking my middle son, Anthony, into bed that night. And he was 12. And Anthony is like my sensitive one, right? He's very intuitive. He's very sensitive and quiet. And I'm tucking him into bed. And keep in mind, I don't talk to my kids about you know, my health problems or stress in my life. I just, you know, as far as my kids are concerned, dad is like Superman, you know? And so I'm tucking him into bed and I bend over to give him a hug and a kiss. And he says, dad, when are you going to retire? And I was like taken aback by that. I'm like, 
well, I don't know, buddy. Like, why do you ask? And what he said next really changed the course and direction of my life from that point forward. He said, I just think you would feel better, dad. And my heart like sank into my stomach and I was like, okay, he could see it on my face, right? He can feel it. I don't need to tell him about the stress of the job. I don't need to tell him about my heart scan. Like he, he felt it. And I walked into my, my bedroom, my wife was there. I tears in my eyes and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And so I left that career that I loved because I didn't want to die in that chief's office. And honestly, guys, like I believe that if I stayed, I don't know if I'd be sitting in front of you today to be able to have this conversation because it really was the best decision of my life because I was able to, to learn about my health, to learn about heart disease, to really turn that ship around and you know, I'm so much better off now. I'm so much happier. I'm so much more relaxed. I'm able to manage the stresses of life a lot better. And now, and and that really drove me to the point of creating this company, Chief Leadership, because I want to talk to the Charlies of, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago and say, hey, wake up. Like, don't, don't make the same mistakes that I made because you can do this. You can manage your stress in a lot more productive way and a lot healthier way. So that's what I do now. You know, I, I go around and I do leadership workshops and I do coaching and, and I love it. And I, I, I help, I hope that I'm helping, you know, people in our business, in our industry, um, community service, public service to, you know, kind of what I say, survive and thrive in your career and not just in your career, but in your retirement. Because unfortunately in, in public service, the stats are not good. You know, people work 25, 30, 35 years, and then they retire, and then they die. I mean, it's, I know it's kind of morbid, but, like, the stats just are not good. So I'm trying to bust that average. You know, I want to I want to get people to, to like, live 30, 35 years in retirement and really enjoy that retirement they deserve. So that's pretty much my story in a nutshell. Um, and uh, there's a lot more to it, obviously, but that's pretty much kind of the reader's digest version of, of <laughs> who I am and how I got here. You know, Mr. Solano, it's amazing how intuitive our children are to our own needs, you know, so I, I have to ask just personally, because I find myself in a, a lot of those same boats, uh, maybe not at the high level that you were at, but, you know, how did that change your home life as well? You know, not only did that relieve the stress, it sounds like, you know, of the professional, you know, steps that you were taking, but really, how did that affect your family? Making that decision to leave? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, well, I mean, I guess it was, uh, a mixed, you know, effect because here I am now faced with the new stress of having to support a a large family without an income. So, so that created a a different type of stress, but the positive side to that was I was home so much more with, with my, my wife and my kids. And I was, Um, like I said, I was able to start laughing again and smiling again and feeling better and sleeping better. And so that had just a tremendously positive impact on, on the home life and the personal life. And that's like, you know, Rachel, like that's the most important thing. You know, we, we all have these careers and, and we're dedicated to our careers and, and, you know, we're professionals and, and it's important to us, but, you know, for me, it doesn't define me. You know, my profession did not completely define who I am. It was part of who I am. Mm 
But I often see people in our profession, in public safety and, and even in your profession, that are just consumed with the job, right? It's all consuming. And when your career is over, what do you have, right? You, you're, you're left with the people who are the most important to you and that other aspect of your life that hopefully you haven't neglected for years and years. So it really helped to give me perspective um, that I kind of already knew, but it just being home and being present was, was a, a blessing, absolute blessing. I like that. Just watching some of your videos, you can just see, you know, that love that you have. And I just, I think it's important that we as an industry recognize and remember that, you know, when we get out of this industry, we still have something to offer because not only did you offer the most insanely amazing public service um, that anyone can, but now you're offering almost an even better service. Like I said, you know, looking through some of your videos, um, it's inspiring. So I'm almost Thank more you. excited to see you on this side, Thank sir. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, that many of us deal with it, you know, like you said, you have that one evening that, you know, you, you didn't have a phone call because being in that position, you know, me as a code enforcement manager, we get those calls like, Hey, sure. a building, building's falling apart. Can you go over there right now? And you'd have to rush and everything's an emergency. When you're in that level, everything's an emergency. So you have to respond right away. So you do neglect the family and, you know, having that, that, that moment, you know, um, I had, to, I had, you know, changed over to the private sector from government. And for me, it was a really, really big uh, jump. And I'm pretty sure it was a big jump for you. Oh, yeah. But the, the thing that I always tell people, you know, when when you tell folks to think outside the box, you're still confined within a box. When you're on in the you know public sector, like right now, when you're thinking outside the box, there is no uh, outer box. You can just do and inspire more. So you're now reaching a, a, another level of inspiring people and you know we we talked about some of the clients that you have and i know some of these clients and you know what i i, I can tell you a lot of these folks need that type of mentorship leadership because you know what in our profession we don't get taught that we just don't and having folks like you coming out there and saying hey there's a better way to you know to um to live it's it's just it's just good to to hear and you know i i love to touch upon some of the stuff that uh, that you're gonna talk about today so yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, you brought up a couple of good points there. One is, is, you know, we need to set boundaries. You know, whether you're in a director position, executive position, supervisor, manager, it's everything's not an emergency. And so to, to really prioritize and set boundaries as to what is truly an emergency, because I think for a lot of us, we get caught up in, I've got to have this phone at the ready. I've got to have it right next to me. You know, it's the first thing I look at in the morning when I wake up, I'm checking my emails. It's the last thing I look at before I go to bed. Well, guess what? That has an impact up here. It has an impact on your sleep. It has an impact on your overall health. And it's really not necessary. You know, so learning to, to really identify what those boundaries need to be, what truly is an emergency, what, tr hey, if you need to get a hold of me, just call me. Like, I'm not going to have my phone dinging every time an email goes off, you know, those are important things to really sit down and think about uh, because it, over time, it's a cumulative effect. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, it's easy to get caught up in that. Just like I did. You know, I, I was lucky to sleep three or four hours a night every night. You know, and over time, that's going to have, as it obviously did, a negative impact on a person's physical health for sure. 
Yeah. So one of the so in in doing your leadership training, what's the one thing that really comes to you know to comes to the surface every time you're teaching? You're like, it's it's a constant like you know somebody has a stress about work or you know what are some of the things that normally come up and and you know that you normally train on. There's so many there's so many things, but I mean, I was I was talking to you guys before we kind of went live here. You know, I've had the privilege to to do some training for code enforcement groups. And, you know, the challenge is that I think this is relevant for you, for your audience. The challenge is that, you know, code enforcement professionals face are very real, especially over the last two years with COVID and, you know, and trying to navigate that and tensions are high, right? People are just upset. They're just upset period, whether it's politics or, or, you know, getting sick or, or safety or whatever it is, people are just tense. And so now you're going to these situations and dealing with conflict and dealing with difficult people. And how do you manage that? How do you manage your own emotions? So I'm doing a lot of training on emotional intelligence, right? How to, how to, you know, understand your own self-awareness and how to do some self-management so when that person gets in your face and says, you know, you can't come in here and do an inspection and this is, this is BS and I had, and I have a right to do this. How do you manage your emotions in a way that's going to lead to a productive outcome, right? Mm -hmm. how, you're still going to accomplish your job, but how can you do that in a way that's not going to get you in trouble? It's not going to get you hurt. And you're going to be able to, you know, hopefully deescalate that situation. So a lot of emotional intelligence training, um, from a leadership perspective, there's so much, you know, just how to lead yourself, how to hold other people accountable. Um, a lot of, a lot of talk about, um, how do I have a conversation with a direct report that, you know, it's a tough conversation. Like it's about their performance or they're not, you know, they're showing up late to work or it's a conversation I really don't want to have, but I need to have it. And, and I talk about those as courageous conversations. That's, you know, what I talk about a lot in, in our training and I give, um, tools for people to have those, to start those conversations because they're not easy to start. Like, how do you start that conversation? And so we talk about effective communication and how to, you know, speak from an I statement and how to actively listen and a lot of communication and a lot of conflict resolution is, is, you know, kind of ingrained in this leadership training because you're dealing with people. Leadership is about people, right? I talk a lot about the difference between leadership and management. And I ask my, um, you know, participants in the workshops, what's the difference between leadership and management? And it all comes down to this, like leadership is about people and management is about things and processes and projects. And both of those things are important, right? You need management skills to get things done but you need leadership skills to, you know, to really motivate and get people to do what needs to be done. And when you cross those things over, when you start managing people, like you manage things or manage projects, that's when leaders run into a lot of problems, right? So you, you gotta, you gotta have both those skills. And so we spend a lot of time talking about the people side of things and how to connect and how to engage and how to be present and how to listen and, Simple things, right, in concept, but a lot more difficult to actually implement. 
Well, that's why, you know, looking at your your profile here on all the many vast um, areas to find your stuff, it, it, it is, it's, there's a lot on there and it covers so much, whether it's self-help, whether it's, you know, emotional intelligence, like Mr. Marco Flores and um, good morning to our guests too, Miss Cece, Charles, Marco, Kenneth. Um, I think we're all on that same page. So how did you really get to that point where you wanted to get this information out, um, you know, in a platform? Well, I mean, from my own experience, um, you know, it started as, you know, while I was on the job and, and attending leadership training myself and really loving it. Like, I'm just a leadership nerd. Like, I don't, I don't consider myself um, an expert in leadership. I don't consider myself an expert at all. I consider myself a student of leadership. And I'm just a geek about it. Like, I love to read everything and listen to podcasts and, and learn as much as I can about this fascinating world of leadership because it's to me it's both art and science right it's not just you can't you can't give um, a new supervisor a book like you know a little playbook and say here just follow this and you're going to be a, a, you know a perfect leader it doesn't work like that it's so much more complicated and nuanced because you're dealing with people so my fascination started when I started learning about leadership and really had the privilege to go to some great leadership training I had the opportunity to go to the FBI National Academy um, as a police chief back in 2014. And that was a, just an amazing experience um, meeting people from all over the world, you know, public safety leaders from all over the world. And now having those, those contacts and those connections and learning from them is, was amazing. So I think having those experiences and then seeing the challenges to lead, you know, challenges that I, that I faced, like where I screwed up and I'm like, how do you know, how can I do this better? You know, how can I have handled that conversation better? How could I have made that decision a little more thoughtfully, a little more responsibly as a leader and just kind of making those mistakes. I go, you know what? I can't be the only one making these mistakes, right? There's gotta be other people making mistakes. And so it just led me to the point where, again, after having that, that moment in time where I, I, you know, I was forced to re-career and thinking, what do I really love to do? And then I asked people that I trusted, you know, to say, what, what do you think I can offer? I'm not doing this, you know, as a police chief anymore. What, what do I have to offer it? And a lot of that feedback was, well, you know, health and wellness, cause you love those things and leadership and just teaching and, and speaking and, and helping and coaching and helping other people, you know, learn. So that's the kind of, that's, that led me to this point, I guess. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I too am a leadership nerd and so is Rachel. She's the bigger <laughs> leadership <laughs> nerd. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, us in public service, I mean, we deal with people every day and our interactions. I mean, that speaks volumes of who we are because, you know, I've seen a lot of code enforcement officers. They go to different uh, places and they treat their clients or their residents, at, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm the law. This is what I right. do. And you know what? We need to step back and say, hey, how are we here to help you? How, what can we do to serve you? And, and having that mentality, it, it takes you leaps and bounds when you're dealing with folks. Because, you know, us, you know, you get calls for service and you have to resolve uh, some disturbance. You know, people don't call you to wish them a good day. They call you because they have a problem. You're there to solve it. And, you know, with code enforcement, we get a call where they're doing something wrong. So we have to yes. deliver that message. And second, we have to correct that message. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and the type of tone that you have with people, the, the way you interact, emotional intelligence, that is key. 
you know, and, and I tend to, um, you know, tell people, hey, you know what, a lot of the um, officer safety concerns is because somebody acted in a way they shouldn't have and it could have been avoided. And I always say, you know what, the option is to walk away when it's getting like heated because as, you know, with uh, law enforcement officers, you guys have, you know, the equipment that you can stick around. We don't. Yeah, right, you right. Know? So uh, for us, we have to come in there, talk to people in a nice tone, you know, the face with the smiling face and say, hey, how are we there to help you? And I think people um, need to really focus on that information. And, you know, how, how do you get that message across to folks that don't have that mindset? How do you get that message across? Um, it's it's a great point and it's it's not easy because and I in many ways I don't blame um, you know code enforcement professionals or law enforcement professionals who over time become jaded. It's easy to become jaded and cynical because you're dealing with, like you said, Pete, just the negativity. People are not calling you to say, Hey, I, I just want to say you're great and thank you for what you do. This is not happening, right? It's it's there's a violation. There's a, a you know some type of code compliance issue, and now you got to go out and be the bad guy. A lot of times, and the, what I try to do is is get the message across to you know to the leaders that look, it's going to make your job easier, not harder, in the long run, right? If you, it might be hard at the time to kind of all right, I got to keep my emotions in check, I got to keep my ego in check, I got to let this person yell and scream a little bit. Let them get this, whatever it is off their chest. And then I can approach this thing, you know, from a different perspective in a calmer tone. Ultimately, that's going to make your job easier, not harder. And so I'll show examples. I'll show videos, video examples of, you know, things that have gone, you know, sideways and, and not ended well for, you know, that public safety professional. And it's just a reminder. It's a constant reminder. You have to constantly remind each other and keep each other in check. When I talk to teams, I go, your obligation as a fellow teammate is to, Hey, if you see your, your code enforcement partner kind of losing it, or like there's, they seem a little tense and they're getting into it with somebody tap in like, Hey partner, I got this, you know, let me, you know, let me deal with this person, you know, because everybody has a bad day. Right. And so helping each other as teammates, holding each other accountable, is really important and being willing to have those conversations and having an open, honest dialogue with each other. Like, Hey, you know what? When you're in your team briefings, if, if I, if I start losing it with somebody, will you step in? Like, help me out. Yeah. And we do the same for me. Absolutely. I encourage those conversations so that when it happens, cause it's going to happen, right? Cause you're a human being when it happens, you have that accountability you have because you're typically not going out by yourself to these types of calls. You're going to have your partner there. So, you know, that's a big part of it. So encouraging that team environment, encouraging, I do, I talk a lot about accountability, self-accountability, team accountability, you know, um, peer to peer accountability, helping your boss be a better boss, right? Because sometimes our bosses struggle. So it's really comes down to accountability, but ultimately just sending the message that this is going to make your job easier, not harder. And we talk about stress and self-care and wellness and physical health, that stress and that anger and dealing with conflict in a, in a, in a poor way is going to take its toll on you physically and not in a good way. So most people like recognize that and go, mm, you know what? I don't want to, that's not where I want to be. So let me, let me try and figure this out. 
but it's not easy, right? It's just a constant reminder for people. Oh, absolutely. And you have to say, you know, thank you to Mr. Solano, because ultimately I, the way I look at leadership is we have to be willing to talk about what's good, what's bad and what's in between. And not often do you find someone like you who's willing to digest a situation or an experience or, you know, an issue out in the field and figure out, you know, what can we do to bring that accountability back? So I do want to say thank you for that. Um, you know, sure. being that type of a leader that's willing to go that extra mile, not just what's in the playbook of, you know, this is how a police officer is supposed to act, or this is how a code enforcement officer is supposed to, you know, do their job based on the manual. You know, people don't respond to that. I mean, they, and especially, you know, people are smart and they do, you know, they're coming into this profession with the, with the right mindset and the right attitude. But again, you can get jaded and cynical, but you, you need to be authentic as a leader with people. You got to tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. Cause mm -hmm. if you just give them this varnished polished version of, you know, here's the play, here's the policy you go do out. They're not going to, it's, they're not going to connect with you. Right. So being vulnerable as a leader is really important. Like telling your team, Hey, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I always ask my uh, students in the workshops. I go, what do you do when an employee comes to you? You're the supervisor and they ask you a question and you don't know the answer. And your response should be what? What do you think, Rachel or Pete? What do you, what's your response be? You know, oh, sorry, Pete, go ahead. No, no, my response normally when I don't have the answer, I'm like, you know what? I don't know. Let me exactly. get that information for you. Yes, that, that exactly. would be my response, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's okay to say I don't know as a leader, right? I don't know. Let me get that answer for you, but take it one step further. I'm going to get that answer to you by the end of the week or by the end of the business day today. Mm -hmm. And then you follow through. Because what happens when you do that is you're building trust with your employees and you're showing that you don't have all the answers. You're showing your, your vulnerability and that's going to, that's going to open the door for them to be vulnerable. It's going to open the door for them to be honest with themselves and to, and to show some humility. And that's really important because if you put on this facade as a leader, like I got it all figured out, I know everything, you know, they put me in this job for a reason that's not going to work well with your employees. There, it's, it's going to affect that level of trust. But so many times I see new supervisors, new leaders get in that role and they're like, I, I got to have all the answers. No, you don't. You really don't. Um, so again, we talk a lot about that, about humility and, and being open and vulnerable and, and being authentic. You know, one, one thing as a, you know, a former manager, you know, and, I, I always tell people, you know what, there's no manual to be a supervisor. People don't pull you aside and teach you how to lead people. They don't. And and I think that's lacking. Uh, you know, one of the things that I used to do just to kind of see where my employees were, I, I actually go on the field. In code enforcement, we go solo. We, you know, we respond to a lot of these calls by ourselves. So we don't have that partner to say, hey, partner. You know, sometimes we do, but... You know, mm -hmm. I make a point to go out and that way I can, you know, when I get those complaints, I, I know my employees tone. I know their type of, you know, their character. I get to know them. And, you know, one of the things I always stress is like, you know, I'm like a coach. You, can, you, you can't train your, you know, not everybody's going to be a shortstop. You know, you have your strong players, you have your catchers, right. your right fielders, your left fielders. You have to practice different drills with them. And one of the things that I always tend to look at is, say, okay, is is the complaint about my employee? Is it is it a real complaint? Is it is it you know is that something they would do? And normally it's like yeah, it's something they would do you know because I know I know my employee. You know your employee. Yeah, so I have to talk to them and say, hey, look, I'm not signing with this, but you know maybe the tone, 
da da da. And you know, I never accuse them, but I, you know, I always make them aware that I know, you know, what they're doing, what they're not doing. And I think, you know, communication is key, being authentic to them, you know, because sometimes you being real with them and then being real with you, you know, you develop this uh, camaraderie, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it can be hard. <laughs> it can be hard, you know, like communicating with them because, some, you know, once you get to know somebody, you build a, a bond with them and then, you know, taking that step to, you know, when they did something wrong and calling them out, it kind of breaks that uh, breaks that bond. So how do you, how do you talk to your employees once you that trust is broken sometimes? That's well, that's a great question. Um, you know, trust is so precious and dear. And I, you know, we talk a lot about trust in, in leadership training and you, if you break that trust, it's going to take a long time to earn that back. So the, the main thing is to try and avoid breaking that trust in the first place. But I think to, to your earlier point, when you're having those, those courageous conversations, we call them, or you're having that feedback session with that employee, things didn't go well, you got a complaint. I think the key is as a supervisor, as a leader is to ask questions, you know, I would sit down with that employee. First of all, give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Because they're, they're doing great work for the community with good intentions. People don't come to work with bad intentions. Like, you know, I wonder if I can, you know, screw up today and how can I make a complaint for my boss? Pete? Like they don't do that. Right. So, right. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Sit down with them. Time, place, and manner is very important. I talk a lot about time, place, and manner with giving feedback. What's, pick the right time to give feedback. So if the complaint came in you know, this morning, let's say, and you wait two weeks to then have that conversation with the employee about that, is that a good time to have that conversation? No, right? It's not fresh in everybody's mind. You, you don't want to wait that long. Um, but do you want to have that conversation, you know, the next morning when they come into work, they're not settled yet. They haven't put their stuff away. They're just getting settled and they're no, right. You want to pick the right time to have that feedback and that conversation place. Are you going to have this conversation, this feedback session in front of their peers? And you might like shake your head and go, who does that? Charlie, people do this all the time. It, they do like I had, I was training, um, I was teaching a class with a, with another consultant friend of mine a couple of years ago. And this is a class of 30 people. This is a, an agency local here. And we're getting ready to start the class. It's like just prior to 8 a.m. That's when the class starts. And we've got 30 people um, from this police department sitting in this room. In the back of the room walks one of their lieutenants. The lieutenant walks up to one of the officers with a piece of paper in his hand and says, Here's your written reprimand. Go ahead and sign this so I can get this filed in front of everybody, in front of the class. And I, I mean, I looked at my partner and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Is this really happening right now? This stuff really happens. Like that is not the time or the place or the manner in which to give that feedback, to have that conversation. But it still happens, right? That type of leadership um, or lack of leadership really affects morale in such a in such a powerful way people don't forget that so asking questions right okay so we had this complaint hey i'm just i'd like to talk to you about that call that you went on yesterday you know at eight one two three uh, a street um how do you think that went you know because trust me when i tell you your employees they know like they know when it didn't go well they know when they overstepped their bounds they know when they probably you know 
and they'll tell you like, yeah, probably, yeah, I got a little upset. You know, I probably shouldn't have. So just give them an opportunity, like ask those questions and then ask why, okay, why, you know, were you having a bad day? Like what, what's going on? This is like the second complaint in the last month. Is everything okay? They might tell you, you know what? I didn't want to tell you this, but having some problems at home and it's kind of affecting. Okay. Is that important for you to know as a leader? Yes. Like, so just demonstrating that empathy, that compassion, taking a step back, not just jumping down their throat. Hey, I got this complaint yesterday. It's a second complaint I got against you. That's really important. Your employees will appreciate you giving them the benefit of the doubt and, and taking that approach to asking them, you know, these questions rather than just, Hey, you know, this is another complaint sign here. Right. So uh, it's really right. about manner, time, place, and manner. That is great information, Mr. Solano. I mean, just in my own work history, I, I would love to have you as a leader. So um, oh, we do you. have a question and a con uh, comment from Mr. Flores. He says, thanks for the amazing and consistent content, Mr. Pete Roquet. Awesome. It says he has a question for your guest. Um, so I can speak to this one too, but then we'll let you answer it as well, Mr. Solano. He says, what books or podcasts would you recommend for those interested in learning more about leadership? So real quick, before you answer that, I have to say, you know, get on and subscribe to Chief Leadership. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly Thank that's you for that one. shameless plug. Thank you. You know, really, though, it's 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 worth it because, sir, you're bringing so much to us as individuals, so much to our industry. But I'd love to hear more about, again, the question, you know, what do you recommend for us? What do you recommend we get interested in um, to learn more about leadership? Oh, my gosh. How much time do you have? I know we don't have much time, but um, there's for you what, all day. it's such a great question. And there's so much information out there. There's a lot of good information and then some not so good. But um, I have a recommended reading list that, because I get this question a lot. And so I created this recommended reading list that I can share with you guys and you can share that with your listeners. But the, the one book that I'll, I'll mention that I think is really important and it ties into what we just talked about, about emotional intelligence and, and self-control and self-management. It's a book that I read um, every couple of years and it's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it's not your traditional leadership book, but it's a very powerful book. And Viktor Frankl, who is a survivor of the Holocaust, writes about his experience in the concentration camps and the death camps and how he survived that experience. And ultimately, just to kind of sum it up for you, it's he recognized that, you know, where his true power came from. He, he learned to not focus on things that he didn't have control over because in that extreme environment, you have control over very little, right? You're, I mean, it's just a horrible, it was a horrible experience. And he learned that, you know, I need to stop spending energy and focusing on things over which I don't have control. Let me just focus on the things over which I have control. And what he realized in that extreme circumstances, I only have control over how I choose to respond to these things. So this is happening to me. This horrible thing's happening to me. This terrible thing's happening. I have power over how I choose to respond to those things. And from that power, he was able to ultimately survive that experience, at least in his belief. And so he took that knowledge and experience and created an entire, you know, psychotherapy, you know, model. And, and he became this, you know, really um, important psychologist in the field. And But that book itself Man's Search for Meaning, you only have to read the first half because uh, the second half is all about psychology, but the first half is his story. 
super powerful. Um, when I read that book 25 years ago, it, it was life-changing for me because I was spending a lot of energy and a lot of time focusing on things over which I didn't have control. And I think many of us find ourselves in situations where, you know, that happens. You know, people are this COVID thing and the vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. Like a lot of that stuff you don't have control over. So stop spending that energy, that precious energy on that stuff over which you don't have control and focus on how you choose to respond to those things. Super powerful book. Not your traditional leadership book. But man, I, I highly recommend that to everybody who asked me about um, what you know, I think that's a great book, you know, just um, hearing about it and reading um, a little bit on the topic. What I kind of get out of it is ultimately um, imagining the outcome. Pete tells me this all the time. It's about imagining yourself in that position or imagining that outcome. Um, and it is a great read. I absolutely agree with that one. I love that. It, it, what that reminds me of is visualization. Yeah. I talk a lot about visualization. I think that's what you're talking about. And that is so powerful. You know, be, visualizing yourself ahead of time. We do this in, in police work. You know, in the academy, they tell you to visualize, okay, you know, you're driving to, a, you know, you're driving throughout your city and all of a sudden a bank robbery call comes out and you roll up on the bank and somebody runs out of the front with a gun. You know, what do you visualize it yourself? How are you going to handle that tactically? Well, you can use that skill, that visualization skill in everything you do. Like, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with a difficult employee. I'm dealing with a difficult client or customer. Visualize yourself handling that situation in a productive, powerful way right. ahead of time. And what's going to happen is when that situation happens and now you're stressed, you're going to default to that visualization, that neural pathway that you already created, and you're more likely to have you know a better outcome. So I love that, Pete, that you talk about you know imagining or visualizing that because it's really powerful. Yeah, one of the one of the things I tell folks, you know what, you're your own bound you set your own boundaries and your own obstacles. And you know what? When you visualize yourself doing what you want to do, all those obstacles tend to go away. And like mm -hmm. you said, you focus on the things that you have control over. You know, I, I can't control somebody else's attitude or somebody else what they think of I can't control that. So you know what? I'm not gonna me personally, I'm not gonna care about it. You know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, one of the things I tell Rachel all the time and, and you know, Cecilia and anybody talks to me, I'm like, you know what, you can do whatever you set your mind to. It's mm -hmm. the limits are, you know, endless. I, I, I always tend to, you know, I'm not a leadership uh, speaker. I'm just a guy that, you know, just helps people get to their next goal. And you know what? Uh, I, I love what I'm hearing because that's, I love it. You know, it's like, good, good. I feel like I took your class already. <laughs> So, but you know, end of the day, you're a hundred percent right. You know, uh, me, for example, I never, you know, when I started uh, code enforcement, I never saw myself in the uh, private sector. I never saw it, you know, and even making that jump, I, you know, I said, where am I going to go? How am I going to do this? And I visualized myself building something greater. And you know what? We built this podcast to inform fellow code officers. And I visualized myself reaching out to you and having you on this show. And guess what? You're on here. Today. And look what happened. You, yeah, exactly. You You're giving us this great goodness of information and I love it. You know, and I think people need to hear this stuff. I mean, you know, you're a keynote speaker where, you know, code enforcement associations are always looking for good speakers. And you know what? We're giving them a, giving you a platform because you know what? We believe in your message, and this is stuff that 
we need, as code enforcement officers, we need to hear this stuff, you know, because we don't get this, you know, when we go to training, uh, you know, how to do, how to write a notice or how to, you know, right, we don't right. learn about the emotional intelligence. We don't learn about right. setting goals. We don't learn about removing these obstacles that in our pathways. So, you know, I, I think this is valuable information. That's typical, you know, that you learn about nuts and bolts and you need that stuff, right? And probably at your conferences, it's all about compliance issues and laws and mandates and that, that stuff's important. But a lot of times if we're going to cut somewhere, it's usually these type of things, like the leadership training or, the, you know, what people call the soft skills, which is funny because that term um, I think is misleading because it, leadership is so important, you know, I just I just posted this morning on LinkedIn about a police chief, um, sadly, you know, went from one department to the next and had just a mass exodus of officers leaving the organization. And they came out publicly and said it's because of his toxic leadership. We do so much damage if we're not paying attention to our leadership, like damage that costs money, like real money. And and not not to mention the, the psychological impact on people. So it's not really a soft skill. It's an important skill, but unfortunately you're right. Pete. Like it's a lot of times it just, it gets overlooked or, you know, we don't, we'll, we'll get to that when we have time, you know, that's my struggle, right? Just trying to get, you know, cities, organizations, nonprofits to, to recognize, Hey, this stuff is important. And a lot of my clients, they do recognize that. So that's, you know, it's a blessing for me, but you also made me think of another person I follow going back to, I think it was was it Gabriel's question about people to follow. I mean, uh, there's there's somebody uh, by the name of David Goggins. I don't know if you guys have heard of David Goggins. He's a former Navy SEAL. Also wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. Um, but such an inspirational guy to me. Very extreme, you know. But um, so he doesn't. It depends on your taste. But um, I really love him. But he talks about um, you have the ability to control your brain, and a lot of times people allow their brain to control them. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about, Pete, is is kind of rewiring your brain and, and taking action and you can control your brain so that you can accomplish the things you want in life instead of just kind of floating through life and going, well, whatever happens to me, just let it. You can control that and you can really rewrite those neural pathways in your brain. It sounds like woo-woo stuff, but I'm telling you. I've seen so many examples of this working. It works in my own life and and people like you, like the reason, you know, you're successful. I think both of you is you're taking action. And a lot of times I talk about imperfect action is better than no action at all. Mm -hmm. Some people are held back. Like it's, it's not perfect. Like this podcast is not perfect. Like you have a very nice podcast, but if you said, if you waited for your podcast to be perfect before you did it, you'd never do it. Right. right, but imperfect action is better than no action at all, and you start to just slowly improve over time. So you made me think of both. You're making me think of a lot of good, good stuff. Thank you, guys. I like that because I mean, ultimately, we could come on here and we could talk about you know how do you write an, a notice of violation, how do you testify in court. But I think really what Pete and I are trying to do, and Cecilia and Pete is bring that message, bring exactly what you're talking about here, is that there's more to it than just the day-to-day processes. Um, not only is it about, you know, taking care of ourselves and our mental health like you did, um, but providing a message in a different way, in a different platform to reach so many people. Um, so your message is just powerful and super inspiring. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. So, Charles, one, one, I, I love David Goggins, by the way. No, you good, know, good. <laughs> he, 
he he does curse a lot, but I love it. I, I That's why I said it's not everybody's taste. <laughs> you know, you know what? One of the things you know, he was running one time. He's like, you know, when I don't feel like making my twenty uh, mile run, and you know, I start giving excuses, I tape myself, and I sound like such a girl. You know, the way he says it. And you know what? One time, uh, you know, I I started talking to myself. You know, I talk to myself a lot, which is, you know, another level of craziness. But, you know, I tell myself, hey, why am I doing this? Why am I not doing this? And you know what? When I start rationalizing what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, it, it, it's amazing how your brain and your body tells you so much about yourself. And, you know, and one of the things that I, I'm a bit advocate about, you know, and this emotional intelligence and knowing myself is when, when we communicate as public servants, I've had people tell me, I couldn't sleep because of what you're doing to me. You know, that has an mm-hmm. impact on ourselves yeah. because we're affecting people's lives. Sure. We're now inserting ourselves in a not negative way. And so I tell people, look, when we talk to the public, we have to be empathetic and keep in mind that we're affecting their lives. Yeah. You know, so being the best versions of ourselves, it's important when we go out there. It's just not, just not another call. You know, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we have to look at it differently because we're there to serve the public. And I think that message gets so missed, you know, because people are more concerned about, oh, I have 50 cases. I'm like, well, you know, only handling one house at a time. So right. be the best version of yourself when you're at that home and work with people. Tell them what's going on, you know, and give them options. You know, we had somebody uh, the other day say, we never say no. You know, we had Victor Martinez on another show and he said, never say no. You give them options. You give them a way to communicate because no is a negative thing. So, you know, yeah, you you don't want to get rid of your 1985 Toyota Corolla that you had a prom date with. That's fine. But you know what? You can't. These are the options. You don't have to get rid of it, but you have to register. You have to put it in out of public view. Right. right. Give them options. And I think, you know, having that personal, you know, awareness of, you know, you being, you know, that emotional intelligence is important when you go to someone's door because mm-hmm. your interaction will last, you know, because you're a public servant. You, that interaction will last for a long time. Oh, they're yeah. going to say, oh, yeah, you know, the, the city, they're a bunch of jerks. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, you know, right. or you can say, you know what, the city, the city guy was awesome. You know, and that's a, I'm going to tell you a quick story of how I ended up in code enforcement. You know, um, the, the way... Um, I, my, my brother had a stroke and code enforcement got called because the fire department couldn't pull my brother out of home. I ended up um, meeting the code enforcement officer. I was in the military at the time and I was communicating with him overseas, you know, to help my parents to reach compliance. And that's how I first got introduced to code enforcement through Mm -hmm. a negative interaction. But that guy was so cool. Years later, I got to teach that same guy. And wow. he, he, he was a fan of mine. I'm like, you know what? You don't remember me, but you're one of the reasons that I got into code enforcement because you wrote my parents up. <laughs> you know, and it was such a kind of 360, but I get to inspire folks like that nowadays to be better, you know, be better. Yeah. Yeah. What a great story. Wow. What, a, what an awesome experience. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I love what you talked about, you know, taking it one house at a time, one call at a time and, and not try not to allow it to kind of accumulate. And one of the things that can help with that, um, cause I like to give people tools they can use is a tool that I use a lot and, it, and it's called deconstructing your day. So at the end of your day, you know, you, you get home, you know, you, you kind of decompress a little bit, you have dinner with the family, whatever you're doing, then take like 10, 15 minutes to yourself in a quiet place 
and deconstruct your day. And this could be just a mental exercise or it could be a written one. But just think back to your day, reflect back and go, how did I handle that call, you know, on A Street today? Uh, you know, it didn't go so well. How could I have done that a little bit better? How could I have handled that interaction with my boss today? I could have handled that a little bit better. Or, you know, I d- really did a good job on that in that conversation with my peer. And deconstruct your day. And, and then what I like to do is I have a journal and I just write all this stuff down. I'm a big journaler. So I'll write down like, you know what? You know, be a little more patient with, you know, your son tomorrow or, you know, it could be personal, it could be professional, whatever it is. And that really helps me because, again, if you just allow yourself to just run on autopilot, typically you're going to you're going to stray, you know. But if you're intentional about these interactions, your communication, how you're trying to improve, um, it's going to be so much better, so much better. So I love you made me think of that tip that I give people a lot is, is deconstructing their day. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's great information. I really think that it's it's healthy for all of us to think about what we could do different. So I do the exact same thing you do. You know, oh, nice. what what did I do today? What can I do different with what I did today? And then how am I going to um, apply that to tomorrow? So that's a great way, great way to end the show. I love that. You know, one, yeah. one of the things I, I tell Rachel is like write on a sticky note. I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. And you know what? It's, uh, you know, it it works because, you know, when you remind yourself, you know, some of us have, uh, you know, I I look at forums and people hate their jobs, you know, being police officers, people hate their jobs. I'm like, dude, you have one of the best jobs in the world. You know, we get to serve the public. We get to be part of people's, you know, evolution of, of, of their community. I mean, we get to do that. And I think uh, that gets lost sometimes. And, you know, we go to the motions like, Oh, I got to do this again. I'm like, you know what? Even, you know, even my wife, she was, she was a server for many years and she hated people. <laughs> like, you know, like, hey, you know, you're in the service industry. You're people here to can be difficult. You know, and, and I get it. But you know what? At the end of the day, I've never gone home and say, you know, I hate my job. I've never done that because at the end of the day, and maybe I'm wired different, you know, because I, I love talking to people. I love meeting people, getting to know them, getting to, you know, and, and helping them out. I, you know, because at the end of the day, it's that is so rewarding. And I think us as public servants, how do we help folks? It's the best, uh, you know, it's, it's the best deal around. I mean, you can't, you can't, um, you know, you, you can't buy that. I mean, you know, for us trying to get into this profession, it was hard, you know, for a lot of people, they try years to get into police officers. They try years to get into, you know, and then when they're there, they either thrive or they don't thrive and they become cynical or, you know, or, you know, they excel. But at the end of the day, I think we are in a, in a profession where we need to have that emotional intelligence. We need the leadership skills, the soft skills, you know, because at the end of the day, we're essential Code enforcement is essential service. Absolutely. And people forget that. And, you know, I, I love all the information that you're bringing to us today. It's it's great information. We can keep it another two hours, but, you know, <laughs> you know, and I told you, like, we've been doing this for about 55 minutes now, and I'm like, we can keep going. And I know, I know. It's good stuff. Guys, it's it it's does. great stuff, it you know? Yeah, thank you. Well, th- thank you guys so much for the opportunity um, to come on your show and to talk about stuff that I love to talk about that you love to talk about. And um, I'm just thankful for you and I'm thankful for everyone in the code enforcement profession. You know, I live in a beautiful 
community uh, here in the city of Orange in Orange County, and they do a great job with you know um, keeping the community safe and looking good and avoiding you know neighborhood decay, and that's that's really important. It's important to me and my family, and so I appreciate everything you guys do and and what your your listeners do. So thank you. Likewise, oh. sir. Absolutely. Likewise. Listening. Thanks to for you. putting my website up there. Thank you. <laughs> That's what we do. I mean, you're, you're a great, uh, great inspiration. I love the leadership qualities that you bring to us. And you know what? Others will benefit from, you know, from what you're doing. And, you know, and if you haven't caught some of these videos, go to chiefleadership.com. And, you know, I'm telling you, like, when I saw this, I'm like, I have to get this guy on our show. I, th this is one of the things I'm like, you know what? And I reached out to him and he's like, sure. And you know what? Hey, if I wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't be here today. And, you know, we had a lot of people that did our response today said, you know what? Here, we got Anna Contreras over here saying thank you. She's with the code manager city of uh, Tracy. Uh, you know, Thanks, great. Anna. she does a lot of good stuff. So anyway, so. we had a lot of great comments from our guests today. And thank you always mm -hmm. for joining us, folks. We love to hear your awesome comments in the chat and, you know, what, what try to bring you relevant information that um, kind of sticks to your heartstrings. So nice. Thank nice. you for being on today, sir. It was an absolute of pleasure. Course. All right. Thank you guys. And thank you. And we hope you have a great day and thank you everybody for tuning in. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye. And All right. Stay safe guys. All right. Bye-bye.